Hi everyone, welcome along to another episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you'll know me, I'm Kev, and I've got Simon along with us. And in this episode, we're going to go back seven years in time to a magical day at Carrow Road, January the 26th, 2013. We'll live in the memory of Luton fans uh, for a long, long time when the town made history in beating Norwich City in the FA Cup 1-0. And we are delighted to be joined by three of the heroes of that afternoon. We've got Scott Rendell, John Shaw and JJ O'Donnell with us. Chaps, thanks for giving up some of your time. Yeah, no problem. Before we get going on the um, on the game itself, uh, just a few words on how lockdowns treating you all. Scott, are you getting through it okay? Yeah, it's, it's not been too bad considering you've got kids off school and everything else, and just trying to sort out the end of the season, football-wise and whatever else. It's it's been, it's not too bad. It's like I thought it'd go a lot slower and a lot worse than it has, but it seems to have flown by, especially the last few weeks. Is that the case for you, John? Yeah, um, the kids are obviously taking up the majority of my time. My uh, my wife is coming towards the end of a degree, uh, so she's done really well to, to to crack on through that, and she had to do it from home. So I've become a primary school teacher in the mornings, um, and then try and do a little bit of work in the afternoon regarding obviously touching base with the coaches that we work with down at the club and some of the lads, trying to keep on top of a bit of fitness. So as Ren says, it's you know I think everybody thought that. I would just stand still and it would drag forever. But when you look at it now, we've been doing it eight weeks. It seems to have flown. And JJ, every time I go on social media, I see you these days. So you must be keeping well during lockdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not bad. Thank you. It's, uh, I've split my time. I've, I've been down to visit my mum and dad in Leighton Buzzard for um, about six weeks. And um, I'm back up in the northeast now for a few weeks, just to, just for a bit of change of scenery. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not one with kids in a minute. So it's uh, it's been a bit obviously quieter and a bit more more boredom for me so it's just trying to spread my time and um, I'm back up in the northeast now for a few weeks and uh, and yeah and just trying to tick over till hopefully the season can start start back up and, and get back going again. I've seen lots of footballers over um, the course of uh, lockdown on social media and things doing chats or keep it up challenges or things like that have any of you three got involved in any of them? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> my little boy's on it and that's about it. I've tried to do that. He's he's eight now, so he's at that age where he's, he's busted like I was when I was an eight-year-old, and <laughs> just went about in the garden doing all sorts. So we're trying to find him stuff to do and try and partake with him. But when he beats you, it's kind of you know, <laughs> where you should have been. Yeah, my two have done that. To be fair, the, the club at, um, where I'm at now, to be fair, they, they've got quite a good community outreach, and especially early doors. Not so much as it's gone on. Uh, but they they were trying to set a lot of challenges to, to you know to the kids to the community to the foundation players and stuff like that and again the uh, then it rests on me to try and the lads doing it and which they obviously decide not to so I kind of ended up putting myself out there and doing a few little things and trips and stuff with the kids in the street and that and I'm the <laughs> stiffest man ever when it comes to stuff like that so uh, at least it gives somebody a laugh that's not a problem for me. Is it TikTok videos for you, JJ? Nah, not really. I thought I'd have a TikTok account by now, but uh, I might have to set one up and, and see how I get on. But nah, TikTok's not really my sort of things. Twitter and Instagram's where I, I like relish, do you know what I mean? It's, it's where I'm in my comfort zone, so I don't think I'll step out of that. There isn't a, there isn't a, there isn't a Carrow Road goal TikTok yet. <laughs> I've been asking Delia if she'll open up the ground so I can do one TikTok, which she won't. <laughs> 
Well, it's great to see you all in good spirits, lads, uh, particularly given all the lockdown circumstances that we're un under at the moment. And appreciate you coming on today. We're obviously, the key thing to getting you all together was to talk about that game at Norwich. But just to let's build up to that with the, uh, the cup run that season, because it, it nearly didn't happen. Um, the fourth qualifying round, obviously, we were non-league in those days. John, you scored in a 2-0 victory over Cambridge to, to get us going. Uh, yeah, after after Andre Gray's goal, one of the toughest games, the the ones when you when you often get drawn against somebody around your level. You know, in the FA Cup, you want two draws. You want the guys that are furthest south possible from you in the pyramid, so that you get potentially an easy game at home, uh, or you want the big scalp where you don't mind getting beat. And uh, Cambridge were always a tough game. No matter where I'd been at, you know, like no matter what club I'd played for, you never got an easy game against Cambridge. So, to to draw them, but also to get by them, you know, I think I think you look at that season that we had the cup run. That's probably the type of team we were. We were a bit of a cup side, even in the league. You know, we'd turn up on those days and we'd drop points when we shouldn't. Um, but no, it was a it's good to get by Cambridge, and obviously it, it led on to you know some great draws going forward. The next round, the first round, Scott, uh, Nuneaton, there was a, a very late equaliser at Kenilworth Road from yourself to earn the replay, and then you scored both goals in the replay, including a penalty. What are your memories of those two games? Yeah, especially the home the home leg, which was the first game. Um, we, were, we were struggling. That's probably one of, I think it was one of the worst we played. And we were like, this is obviously not going to happen. The way, we, like Shory just said, we got through, managed to get through a tough team like Cambridge, um, and then to get the draw, we probably looked pretty favourably on that. Um, I know it's probably the same area, but I'm pretty sure Manny was struggling at the time, and you'd fancy your chances of progressing into the second round reasonably comfortable, but uh, it wasn't to be because we, we were struggling, and it was I think it was midway through the 80th to 90th minute. Um, that one it fell on the head from a free kick, I think, and um, I think the, well, the replay we made, we we made it a lot easier for ourselves and it was a lot more comfortable. Um, but yeah, like I think I'm sure he's knocked the nail on the head there because we were that team where we could roll anybody over any given day, but then we could also not turn up against the teams we, we, we really should have turned up against. And uh, I think that that summed our season up was, was especially them games against Nuneaton. And I think, I don't know who, I think who did we get in round two? Was it? Dorchester. Dorchester, yeah. Yeah, it's the same in that in same in round two as well, I think, because we, we went to replay in that as well, I think. So um or that might have been the trophy, sorry. But trophy, yeah. Played them a lot of times and it was one of those where we could never really dominate a game that we should do should have done easily. JJ, I was gonna come on to you talking about Dorchester as Scott's just touched on there. We played them in the FA trophy and it went to a replay, which meant we actually played the same opponents in three consecutive games. I mean, how strange was that? Yeah, it was. Um, it's something I remember, and I think it was, it was a trophy, like Scott said, that we that we played them in, and um, a team like Dorchester. If you if you look at it now in comparison to where the two teams are now in the football pyramid, it's it's a million miles apart. But them days, it was it was the FA Trophy, and um, whoever we drew, drew in that, whether it was a team in our league or or the leagues below, we were always the big scout, you know, and. Um, obviously, we we in the FA Cup, we we've got the chance of drawing the big boys, and, and the FA Trophy teams probably looked at, at coming to Kenilworth Road as drawing drawing a big boy. So, games like that are always difficult, and um, when you play them sort of three times within a week, it was always going to be a, a be a tough task. And um, thankfully, I think we overcome it in all three. If I'm 
if I'm not wrong. Yeah, that's right. Won the uh, FA Cup game 2-1, Andre and Alex Lawless scoring, and then the replay in the trophy was 3-1. In fact, you scored in that game in the trophy replay. JJ. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I should remember it because I didn't get many, but I don't. Unless, was that much sure? Sure, he might have set me up in that one, did he? Headed it down and I smashed it in. Right foot. 25 yards. Remember it now, sure. You obviously don't remember that well. No, I was be checking the footage on that. You know what it was? I thought that was the uh, the Bedfordshire Cup, me, but obviously not. But yeah, right, yeah. I don't get many. He doesn't right. play in the Bedfordshire Cup, mate. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, um, the plum tie in the third round, John. Um, Wolves, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Alex Lawless, the only goal of the game. And, um, you know, that was terrific to, to pick a big side in round three, obviously hoping for the draw. Um, what are your recollections of, of that particular FA Cup tie? Oh, uh, you know what, that's probably, I mean, I know we're obviously here to talk about the big win, but I think the Wolves game was, was a pick of the run for us, or, well, for me personally. Um, you know, they were, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on it when we go to Norwich, but they were they were struggling for form. The Wolves were, were known at the time, they got the new manager in, the, the, the lad from abroad, and the, the players didn't seem to be reacting. They were on a bit of a, a dodgy run. Um, strangely enough, I never fancied Ridgewell, the strike, the centre-back. Um, when when we drew them, you know, initially you think oh, that's a great draw to play them at home. And as the closer the game got, all I could think was, you know, what we've got half a chance here. Um, then obviously the game itself was a real. You know, we were in it the whole time. You know, they, they did have a couple of little chances, but we, you know, we kept knocking on the door. Andre at the bar, we were kind of roughing them up a little bit at the uh, at the top end, trying to trying to do what we could. Um, obviously, just before half time. I, uh, I jumped up for a header, had to flick it on and got absolutely cleaned out by uh, the centre-back ward. Um, and my eye was quite, well, split quite badly. Um, and I got in at half-time with a bit of bandage on. And I went into the physio room, sat down and the doc says, look, you can have anaesthetic, four and three stitches or no anaesthetic and I can get four in it. And I went, fuck it, just go for the four. <laughs> I just look over my shoulder and Renz walks in and went, Jesus, John Boy, that's bad, isn't it? <laughs> and the fizz, Simon Parcel, he says, you can't say that, get out. So he's like, kicked him out, he stitched my eye up. Pulled back out the second half with a big daft bandage on. Um, it was just, again, just seemed to be that end-to-end -end game, but because they never really, you know, they never really cut us open and we were in it the whole time. Right. The way I played that season, some of the goals he scored, when it did drop, you know, it was a great, when the ball went in, I mean, the noise around Kenneth was unbelievable. Um, and then obviously it just ended up hanging on and I think for the last five minutes I ended up like left back. I don't even know how I ended up there. I just spent the last five, ten minutes in our box trying to defend like crazy. So I think that's probably my favourite game of the run, if I'm honest. That was a, a cracking afternoon, certainly beating Wolves, Alex Lewis. Interesting you should mention um, the injury that you picked up then because it didn't seem to do, cause you any ill effects because three days later we played Barrow on a Tuesday night at Kenilworth Road. You've got a bandage all around your head. Not only do you score, you knock the perfect hat-trick. <laughs> Left foot, right foot and header. I mean, away from the FA Cup, we've got to give you a moment just to talk about that, John. Uh, I wish I'd kept that bandage on for the next uh, year and a half. That would have been fun. <laughs> um, because, you know what, it was a strange one that I, that I got the goals. You know, I'd, there's no secret and it, and, it, and it comes out every now and again if I ever have any chats with any Luton fans. I spent a lot of time that season the right side, playing right side of a front three, effectively more of a right winger at times, with Renzin behind Dre and Stuart and Fleets on the left. 
Um, so we kind of played like that through the league most of the time. Then we'd obviously beat Wolves on the Saturday where we'd kind of gone to a 4-4-2 with me down the middle. Um, then on the Tuesday, uh, Paul decided to kind of rest a few people and sent me back down the middle. I played down the middle. We obviously, crosses coming in left, right and centre. I managed to score, obviously, a hat-trick, which I thought was brilliant because then I was like, ah, decent, this will get me everyone up top. Yeah, I think Andre put pay to that. It weren't going to happen. <laughs> and he still got moved back to the right. But the night, again, the night itself, you know, Barrow were a former team of mine, got on really well. I mean, again, noticeable that like five and a half, six thousand fans turned up on a Tuesday night, like three days after we turned over uh, Wolves against Barrow. You know what I mean? A club that, you know, they're not the most glamorous club out there, even though they're doing really well now. Um, it was just one of them nights where we got off to a really good start. We scored, a, I think we scored a quick couple in the first like 15 minutes. Um, like you say, nice to get a couple of goals on my feet. That's very rare. It was always tends to be a headed goal. So no, it was a it was a good night. My obviously, as a striker again, getting hat tricks, taking the ball home is always fantastic. I didn't have a great time goals at Luton. So yeah, that was a you know I, I suppose as a couple of days ago beating Wolves, then the, the hat trick on a Tuesday was a was a great little week for me. Well done on that. Great hat-trick. And it was the first for a Luton player for just over two years as well. Amari Morgan-Smith had scored the last one um, against St Albans in the FA Cup. So, and we'll go back to the FA Cup then, Scott, because um, obviously after that victory over Wolves, the draw came out. And um, I'm going to ask you all your thoughts on um, picking a Premier League side, but not one of the, the big names, so to speak. Yeah, um, I think Shory alluded to earlier, you either want to play a big team away or a tiny team at home and by the time you reach the third round obviously the big boys come in then everyone in that draw is going to be a flyer for a, a Man City or Man United Liverpool or Newcastle and Arsenal Chelsea whoever it is away from home and to say it was an anti-climax is, is not fair because obviously it's still a fantastic achievement because Norwich were doing okay I think in the Premier in the Premier League at the time and it was still a massive mountain to climb for us but um, I think after the initial lull that we didn't get a, a massive massive uh, team it kind of sunk in a little bit that it was still going to be a hell of an achievement and it's going to be a great day out and the, the closer we got to it I think the more the buzz around the group was like we can actually create something here and if we do it we've got a better chance of beating Norwich than we have against the Chelsea. So we've got more chance of winning the game rather than enjoying the occasion. JJ, your thoughts on the draw? I mean, you remember what you was going through your mind at the time? Yeah, I think I think Scott's hit the nail on the head. Really, you always when you get to the third, when we got to the third round, obviously after we beat Wolves, and um, you're in the fourth round, and the team sort of dwindled down, obviously as as the cut run does. But you're looking for one of the big boys, and I think I remember they were all still in and. Um, the draw's coming out and, and you're not quite that number and you think, oh, go on, give us that one. And you, your big teams come out, you think, yeah, we'll have them. And like Scott says, Norwich comes out and, and no disrespect to them, they're a Premier League club, they're, they're still a massive club and stuff. It's a bit of a, oh, what, what might have been if we'd have got one of the, the massive teams. But yeah, I was I was sat in my living room with my dad watching it um, and that was it was one of them where I sort of just thought, I looked at my dad, he went, well, it's all right, isn't it? And I was like, oh yeah, I suppose that it's still a Premier League team, it, it could have been worse, but... Yeah, I think like Scott says as well, it, after the belief of, of beating a team like Wolves in, in round three, you go to a team like Norwich and in terms of stature, obviously Wolves are a bigger club now, but they were probably a similar size club at the time and 
Um, the belief that the, the Wolves game give us, it, it, we went into the Norwich game, not with, if you looked at it in terms, probably everyone thought we went in with, with, with absolutely nothing to lose, but as a group of players and, and staff, I think that we looked at it as if we, we beat Wolves in round three, so why couldn't we go there and get a draw and, and maybe bring them back to Kenworth Road and, and create a bit of money for the club? So that's how we looked at it as a group of players and it, it worked out obviously ultimately very well for us. John, your thoughts, do you remember what was happening when you, you heard about the draw? Uh, not necessarily when the draw came out. I can't, I can't actually go back and remember it, but it was more on the day that, that things started changing for me, I think. I, um, I, I played with Grant Holt when we were like, you know, he came out of Barrow and joined Wednesday when he was 19, 20 or something. So he was just slightly older than me. And we got on quite well, you know, again, because of the age and, you know, he wasn't a big fish. That's still the club kind of, you know, we kind of got on really well at that point. So as soon as we drew Norwich, I was like, you hold on to that shirt for me, will you? I think again, you know, you 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 start planning for things like that, and all again. I remember people saying, "Look, it's a prem draw away from home. It's it's perfect. You you know, for a non-league club." But as the lads touched on, you know, you did want, you know, everybody wanted a. The only people you didn't want back then was somebody like an Arsenal, where you were just going to just run around chasing the ball for night, and it'll be pointless. Um, but going to a nice big club would have been a, a good draw. Then when we. You know, we built up to that game. We spent a lot of time on the training pitch um, like without the ball. You know, like Brooks and the team like got us in our shape. They got us in our structure. They kind of gave us a game plan that would keep us in the game, knowing that we've got, you know, like pace, try and hit them on the counter. Um, and we got to the ground on the day and I, and I, you know, I went looking for Grant, as you do. And I stood there and I went, Grant, mate, how's it going? And he, and he literally looked at me and went, mate, it's rubbish. I was like, what do you mean? He went, well, we've had, you know, like we'd had, they'd had Lambert, who, you know, had this free-flowing attacking football as Norwich flew through into the Premier League. And when they got rid of him, they brought in like, Chris Hewton. And Chris Hewton was a bit more dedicated to, obviously, again, the shape and structure and everything. And they, they played a bit more defensive. And the lads just weren't responding. He'd got a different group of players to what he was trying to do with them. After, literally, after talking to him, I was thinking, the players aren't, aren't happy. <laughs> we've got half a chance here. And then you've got somebody like Johnny Housen, who, a great attacking midfield player playing deep midfield for him. You're like, yeah, I like that as well. That's decent. <laughs> Take that. Young Gary Kane at the time, obviously, you know, to be fair, at the time, I didn't know anything about the kid. I didn't think he was, you know, nobody, I don't think anybody saw him becoming what he's become. And then, like you say, you just, you get those little bits of, again, that bit of confidence. Um, I'd had a bit of a knock on my foot in the lead up. I got a, a, a stitch in my foot after a, after a night away in Telford, a disgusting night away in Telford. I was fine on the day, didn't feel any problems in my foot. Um, then, like I say, you, as soon as you cross the line and the fans are shouting, just try and sit to the game plan and hope that you can come out the right side. And uh, they, We held our own and they had a couple of sniffs. When you ride your luck in, in games like that, you just, you just know you've got a chance something might fall near the end. Just before we go into um, detail in the game itself, Scott, um... I've heard from a couple of players that part of the build-up, you trained at Ipswich the day before. How did that sort of, uh, how did that go as kind of building up to the big game? Um, we actually trained there two days before. We went down, on, I think it must have been on the Thursday, uh, or might have been the Wednesday, I think it was the Thursday, and we ended up training there on the Thursday and Friday before playing Saturday, which when Bucks turned around and said it, we were like, all right. The club, are, the club are backing us, they're out like they want to have a proper go here. It's not just going and enjoy the occasion, it's we've got a good couple of days of concentration being all together and 
and getting fully prepared for their game. And Ipswich were brilliant with us. We, they let us their home. I think it was obviously in the middle of January, so the weather was probably freezing cold out there. They're, they had their own business to take care of and stuff. So, uh, yeah, they've very kindly done that. And I'm sure we said, we did literally just, I'm pretty sure the team that played never touched the ball in training for, for a long while, um, which obviously, comparing that to how we were playing the league game, was massively different because we'd, we'd look to try and dominate the ball and, and control games, where on this side, we're going back to the FA Cup team, if you like, of playing against the Wolves. And because we've done that so well, we had something to fall back on uh, memory-wise. And, and the boys know how to play that formation, how to be patient, when to go and attack, uh, to try and win the ball back. And I think, to be fair to Bucks and, and Nielsen, the rest of the coaching staff, that's what we got drilled in all week leading up to it, um, especially the days we had at Ipswich. Um, and it held us obviously in good stead because, I think like Shuri said, you, Norwich were always going to get chances and we needed just to limit them and get a little bit lucky if you're on it. If you're on it. And I think Laws cleared one off the line from uh, a corner in the first half and uh, Tyler's made a good couple of saves, especially second half from he had a good header. Simeon Jackson had a great chance. Um, and like Shuri said, you kind of, the longer the game goes, you think, we're in this, all we need is one chance. And I think, well, I especially remember it sitting on the bench. I was sat next to Matt Robinson and JJ, and we sat there thinking, we just want to get on here. Like, if this stays, as long as this stays nil-nil, there's always a chance. And, and the minimum we can look on for is a draw. And like Shuri said earlier, again, getting back to the Kenworth Road and with the atmosphere there, anything can happen. And uh, obviously, the money created for that for the club would have been fantastic. But yeah, it was just take it minute by minute and chance by chance. And longer it went on, you just, especially on the bench, we just went for your chance for Bucks to turn around and say, right, come on, keep going on. But JJ, was there a kind of marked difference in the way that uh, Buckle prepared you guys for the game? Obviously, you've drilled a different formation and a different style. But was it? Did it? Did it feel more intense? Yeah, I think Scott and Shorey are spot on. Um, obviously, a lot of people look back on that day, and I think Paul Buck will be the first to admit he didn't have the he didn't have the greatest time at Luton, and it probably didn't go as as well as he'd hoped. But um, I think that day it was it was massively down to him and the coaching staff because, like you say, we we many of the supporters were probably turning up for the day out and um, just expected maybe just to if we got lost one or two, it might have been a, a good day out. But he drilled into us from very early, early on that with a game plan and um, like Shorey said, a structure that we could, that we could create something and we could, we could keep them at bay. And we knew from minute one, they were going to have the ball, um, a premier league team at home against a national, against a conference side. They're always going to dominate possession, but I'll never forget. Um, obviously I was on the bench with Scott that day, but um, the, the, the team that was starting, um, Bucks was massive on the shape. Um, I'll never forget. He always wanted um, Norwich to play down the side of us and never through the middle of us. And, and that was what he emphasised the whole week in training at Norwich, the two, uh, Ipswich Road, the two days before. It was make sure they go down the side of us. Um, don't let them play through the middle and, and try and keep the gaps close between all the players. And um, the start and 11 done it brilliantly. And I think, like I say, Paul didn't have the greatest time at Luton. But I think that day when, uh, when we went there, it was, it was a lot down to the preparation that we had. It was, was the reason we'd done so well. And um, I think he was confident, you know, in, in the conference M days, you your defenders deal with a lot of long balls and balls into the box, etc. So I think he was happy with the, the balls going wide and, and crosses coming in and, and hopefully Janos and, 
and Lafaniel Rotan and Snoop defended him. So I think a lot of the structure was put in place in the days before, and um, I think maybe sometimes that goes unnoticed. But Bucks was a massive reason behind that, and and the massive reason was was behind the success that we created that day. Before we go into the game in more detail in itself, I'm quite interested in the pre-match. Um, you know, you're arriving at the ground, having probably come from the hotel in the morning, lunchtime-ish. Just what's going through your mind? How nervous are you about everything? Um, I'll start with Scott on this one. Um, do you remember much about that morning and what was happening? Um, not really the morning. I think because we, we stayed away for a couple of days before, it wasn't like a, a massive shock. We knew what we were there for. We got the the nerves, if you like, at, at the system when we were training at Ipswich in, in the other two days. But I think we were that well prepared. Um, we were just ready for the game then. And obviously, like you say, we, when we turn up to a Premier League ground like that, you take in the surroundings, you look around and you get your, your initial moments of looking around thinking, wow, like, this, is a, this is a great stadium to play in. Hopefully, there's, there's, it's a full house today. And, and then you just got to concentrate. It was, it was slightly different for me than probably for Shuri. Because Shuri had to be nailed on from minute one because uh, he, he obviously started the game. Um, and I knew, I, hopefully, I was, getting, I was going to get a chance later on in the game, barring any injuries. Um, so it was one of those moments where I was nice and calm, I was nice and relaxed. Um, tried to help uh, the boys as much as I can before the game. You, you want to you make sure everyone's ready and make myself ready as well. But... It was one of those where I was nice and calm. I wasn't too uptight. Just just wanted to get the game going. And as soon as the game started flowing, you could see that we probably wasn't going to get overawed. Um, and it was going to be a good day. And John, you had a very special guest to look after on the day as well. So as much as you're thinking about the, um, the match itself that you're preparing for, talk to us about young Corey Davison and what it meant to you to have him there alongside you as mascot. Yeah, well, obviously Corey had come down for the for the Wolves game. Um, well, you know that's, that's kind of how we led onto the Luton, out uh, onto the Norwich one. He, uh, you know, Corey's, Corey's a special lad. I think a lot of people at Luton now uh, know know his story. You know, he had a real bad, you know, brain tumor at a really young age. And when I first met him, you know, there was just I played for Gateshead against Blyde, which is his local team, his local town club, and it was just this like tiny little frail lad uh, who fell asleep during the game. You know, he couldn't be awake or around that much. He was that tired for the game. It was a big game. The Derby gate said, um, Blythe. I remember talking to his dad after the game um, about, obviously, Corey's situation and everything. And then we just stayed really close. You know, I tried to do whatever I could if it was, like, fundraising for him or for some sort of things. And then when we got the Wolves draw, uh, um, again, my kids were really young at the time, and I was talking to his dad and just said, oh, it'd be be great if you could bring him down I'll have a chat with some of the club and we could make him mascot and then obviously because we won we then went well I mean we can use that as an excuse lucky mascot we'll, we'll, we'll get him in again we'll bring him down again and it'd be brilliant if he could come down so you know, we uh, we sorted it out it was again fantastic for him I mean what a day for him to be able to do that and, and the Luton fans were fantastic they took him straight in not just because of Wolves game I mean it's just kind of fans that they were but he, um, yeah just and again the club were brilliant with it as well you know like I didn't have to worry about him. You know, I got on with my own things. I got on with my own pre-match preparations as such and, and did my own thing, my own routine and made sure that when I bobbed out of the changing room or before the game for the kick around or for the photographs, we got plenty of, you know, plenty of things for him to, to remember the day with. Um, yeah, he, uh, he, he loved the day and he turned out to be the lucky mascot that we wanted him to be. 
day, Jay, for yourself, a young player at the time. Um, obviously, you knew that you were you were starting on the bench. Disappointment, but also um, must have been a great day out. You know, the occasion that you were preparing for before kickoff as well. Yeah, um, definitely. It's, it was like you say, I was a young lad at the time, and um, it was probably the, the, the biggest the biggest stadium I'd have played at in, in senior football. And, um, it was a day all my family were going to be there, and um, for me, that's that was a lot of pride in having them there. Um, obviously, from from the Wolves game, I, I couldn't celebrate because I left on a stretcher and, and ended up in hospital. But um, it was a day when I turned up, and yeah, as a young lad, you take it in. Obviously, Shorey and, and, and Renz have um, played higher up the football league, so they've probably played at better grounds. But for me, I've only ever played as high as a conference. So turning up at a ground like that that day was was always something that was going to be very special to me. And um, when you're on the bench, it's it's something that yeah, of course you're disappointed because you're there and you'd love to start and you'd love to be there from minute one but um the lads were brilliant in the build-up um I, I totally appreciated that and um it, it was good it was good to see how the lads were going to get on and, and the game plan and structure we had but um yeah it was, it was from the warm-up I embraced it all I enjoyed it all and um I woke up in the morning and said if anything I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy it because you know in um in football you don't get many many days like that where you play at good grounds and full capacity but even looking at that aspect the, the Norwich fans were brilliant in terms of they could have stayed away. They're probably obviously expecting to win comfortably, but um, they sold out their their ends. And um, when you looked across and, and the Luton fans had, had filled their end, which which was in no doubt, it was a it was a very special day. And, and to have your family at days like that is is something that's very special to me as well. You should just touch on that actually. Your injury that you mentioned there against Wolves. I think the Norwich game was that not your first time back in the squad or featuring certainly for for Luton since that injury. Yeah, yeah, it was um, the Wolves game. It was obviously a, a great day and, and the lads could celebrate. But um, yeah, I think it was about 81 minutes and um, I've gone right. to head the ball one way and that Peshko's went to clear it the other way. And I've got there just before him and he's, he's whacked me. And, and when I look back at the video, I try and get up, but I just go. And uh, obviously I went off on a stretcher and stuff. And um, it was quite funny. My face absolutely ballooned up. And uh, obviously sure he scored the hat-trick on the Tuesday and I'm turning up to to sit in the um, the direct like the um, the corporate bit with a, a face like Avatar. So um, I'd have to, I had to miss a few weeks, um, but yeah, it was the Norwich game was my first one back after that, and uh, thankfully by then my my face had uh, had gone down a little bit. And Scott, um, you know the, the the build up to the game now we're, we're kicking off. You're obviously sitting and watching on the bench. I mean, what's going through your mind? How hard is it? You know, I know as a fan sitting there watching the team you love uh, performing against Premier League opposition, how hard is it for a player when you're just itching to get on and, and make an impact? Uh, yeah, it was one of those where, I do, you, as a player that's sitting on the bench, you, there's no point in coming on at three, four, five nil down and uh, you're just making an appearance for the sake of it, really. It was one of those where I was kind of, you obviously want the team to do well and if we're, if I did get my chance and we were one, two, three, nil up or whatever it was, fantastic. But the last, the least thing at least you want to be doing is to be in the game. So the longer the game kept up, uh, kept going and it was it was nil, nil and kept looking at the clock and I was thinking, oh, then it's getting closer to when he might be looking to freshen up. Because obviously it's going to be hard work for the lads out there because the 90 minutes to play without, without having the ball and chasing and, and keeping mentally switched on, if you like, it's hard work, um, so you're always hopeful that you're going to get that chance and that nod to come on and play your part. And it was just about the longer the game went on, the more 
focus you stayed on it and made sure you're ready just in case that that not uh, that little tap on your shoulder said right it's your chance and and they say you keep looking at the clock. I keep remembering looking up. It says 55, and then I looked at it. Thought it's just coming to an end soon, and it said 64. And I was like, that's, that's the longest nine minutes of my life. And I was like, Christ, this game's going. Just dragging and dragging. And then I think Norwich had a spell. And you think we've done a right to stay uh, to to come out of that still with a clean sheet, and you could you could feel the momentum building a little bit because um, they had obviously a few big chances, and you think. We're biding our, uh, our time here and uh, riding our luck a, a lot. So it was one of those games where you just got to um, keep keep patient and, and keep ready. And then when the moment comes, I think it was like 75 minutes, you think, right, it's a big 15 minutes, you can give it your all. Because Shorey and Andre, I think, come off at the time and they'd run, run themselves into the ground, falls their back for a few problems. Um, and it was down to me, Fleets and JJ who come on at the same time. And, so hopefully bring them fresh legs and impetus into the last 15 minutes to, to at least keep the result that them boys worked so hard for to, for 75 minutes. They're obviously out there working hard. I mean, between you and Scott, it seemed to be one or other started um, the games in the FA Cup that season. But you've got the nod and you're obviously starting. Um, what a feeling to be out there playing on a Premier League pitch. I mean, how much does it sink in at the time or how much are you concentrating on playing? Um, well, we, I'm quite fortunate in the fact that, you know, a few years before I'd, I'd done it, you know, I kind of had a little bit of good FA Cup experience. I, I grew up very, very fortunately at, at, at quite a big club. Um, when these days happened, it, I don't know, I'd already, got, I'd already got good experience to kind of draw back on and not to let like the, the crowd or the occasion kind of, kind of better of you. Um, always, I've kind of always been that player that just... Didn't want to let the manager down, you know, like, and, and Bucks was brilliant with me. Or again, regardless of the fact that where I played and when I played or all the stuff that went on, I got on really well with the man and he, and he you know, he, he asked me to do a specific job. And that's literally was my entire focus. You know, I kind of knew that my job on that day was not to be running channels or closing fullbacks down and chasing goalkeepers and trying to win headers and, and stay inside their box. My job was to sit in behind Andre to work with um, you know Arnold Mendy and, and Smudger on their midfield and try and keep, as JJ said, keep it going one way. Don't let them just punch through us and, and take me and Andre out of the game. Um, and again, like I said, once once I'd had that little chat before the game and we and we went out and the whistle goes, you do, you just you get on with it. You know, the, the biggest, the, the most nervous bit for me that afternoon was was when I got stuck under the ball and. Uh, and they nearly scored. That header that, uh, that Alex Lawless clears off the line is my man. But I get completely caught. He absolutely jumped about 10 foot in the air and <laughs> hit down. And then I'm watching it slowly go into the goal thinking, you, I'm, I'm the one that's in trouble. Because we did have a bit of a spell that season where we conceded goals from set pieces. And I prided myself on not being one of those guys that got done. And then I did get done. And I was, honestly, I'm watching that ball go in and it didn't. Then again, you snap out of it because the ball gets cleared. I get the ball wide. Andre makes his run, exactly kind of the, the counter-attack moment we've played for. I play the ball in behind. He runs off. He gets drawn down. And the minute, that's the second then, you're arguing for a penalty. So you forget the, the you know, you've just nearly cost your team a goal. Um, and then, like I said, the, the game itself, he, like I said, once you're, once you're on the pitch and the ball's rolling, I'm just looking over my shoulder trying to do my job. You know, I'm not really worried. I'm not like not worried about the fans or the noise or who I'm playing against. Just kind of, the manager has to do a job, do it. 
But if, if I failed that day, nobody would have had a go at me about it. You know, we were playing against a Premier League team. We weren't supposed to be the better team. So you've got to take that pressure and just go, well, see what you can do. Give it everything you've got. And again, you know, the lads have touched on it there. That squad, that team that day, everybody that was involved, all the lads on the bench, the lads that came on, to a man, it's very rare that you get everybody do their job so well that, that we get the opportunities like we did. And JJ, obviously we're looking at back at this game sort of seven years on from when it happened and we now know that you know, Harry Kane's gone on to be England's leading striker at the minute. Andre Gray's on the pitch, who's now doing it in the Premier League and things like that. But when you're sat on the bench and you're looking at the players that are on the pitch, are you kind of thinking, well, that's a serious lineup that we're up against? And not just the players that they've got on the pitch. They've also got Grant Holt on the bench, haven't they? I think they brought Wes Houlihan on in the second half as well, who had a real decent reputation. Are you sat there kind of in awe at them as well as what you're watching for us? Yeah, I think it's I think it's realistic that you're playing against Premier League players. You know, whether they're the top of the Premier League or rock bottom of the Premier League, you've got to respect that they they've done well in their careers to play at that level of football. And um, whether they put out, like you say, if they they put out a first choice or a second choice centre forward or a first or a second choice centre half, that they're going to be good footballers. You you've got to respect that, and I think that was installed in us that we we did respect them. Um, I don't think that. Um, we, we, we're in awe of them at all. Um, it's not like you can no disrespect, but you're not coming off against Sergio Aguero in the Premier League, who's arguably one of the best strikers in the league. And but you look at it now, Harry Kane's gone on to do that. But at the time, it was it was never a case of that's Harry Kane. He, he's going to go on and achieve what he did. It was it was a young Harry Kane on loan from Tottenham, and um, we weren't we weren't in in awe of them. We respected them for the, for the team they were and the level of, of, of players they were. But I think as a group of players, we. We, we strongly believe, that's like Scott and Shorey said, that we could get something. Um, we, we went there that day and um, I think we set up and, in the way Buck set us up to get a draw. And um, as the time ticked on and looking on from the bench, etc., we believe that if we could keep going and, and stay strong. And I think it's important in, in times and games like that, that not only are you you're physically running around, but you're mentally switched on. Because as you're chasing the ball for 90 minutes, it gets a bit, a bit demoralising. We always knew they were going to have the ball a lot and... Um, when you're chasing it and, and you're trying to keep in the game and it only takes one one little split second that you switch off and Premier League players will punish you. Um, even even players League 1, League 2, they'll punish you. So the Premier League players will definitely punish you. And I think to a man, like Shorey said, the, the 16 players, the staff that day, we all stuck to a game plan. And um, for 90 minutes, we, we were brilliant. And um, I think it all it all set up from a, from a week of hard work and a week of organisation and, and not only staying physically prepared but mentally being prepared for a, for a 90 minutes and um, as the game grew on and the minutes ticked by we we always believed that we could get a draw and I think as a group of players if you probably said after about 70 minutes that we'd get a draw and take them back to, to Kenilworth Road we'd, it would have definitely taken it off you and uh, I think I think we, we would have probably fancied ourselves maybe to do something at Kenilworth Road but um, yeah it was, it was a, as a team a team effort that day and a club effort more than anything else you know I think the supporters probably turned out that day knowing we were going to ride our luck and um, Tiles was going to have to perform. And he was one of them keepers who could, you know, when, when you have a back four and you look behind him, you've got someone like Mark Tyler there, you know you've, you're always in with a chance of keeping a clean sheet. And um, he was going to have to pull off a few a few wonder saves like he did from Grant Holt in the second half and, and Simeon Jackson in the first. But it, it's one of them days where you're going to ride your luck and if you're going to achieve something which we set out in the, in the first instance to achieve a draw, um, we was always going to ride our luck and, and Tiles thankfully kept us in it and the back four were brilliant. And John, we were never really, I mean, watching it from the stands and things, never really felt like we were under siege at any stage in that sort of first hour. But when, 
our backs were against the wall and they, they were attacking. I mean, how important were four and a half thousand Luton fans just singing non-stop that afternoon just to keep you boys going and focused on the job at hand and things? Well, hopefully they were just breathing in and trying to keep that ball at the other end of the pitch. Um, it was... Uh, <laughs> Listen, they, they, they were always... Well, I'm not going to turn around and say that the Luton fans were always amazing because when I very first rocked up, they got a bad reputation and they lived up to it a couple of times um, in games that we thought we were doing all right in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then, you know, we went down there and it is, it's one of those occasions where everybody does come together. It really is. It's, it's one of those... Like, the, the games against... We touched on in the earlier on the run, the non-eating games, the Dorchester games, they're going to have been on our back. And we... And, we expected it, you know. What I would touch on is just going over the point before about, you know, about nerves and things. If you look at our lineup and our our squad, we had some great personalities, right? They were they were really good guys, not necessarily massively loud characters or kind of guys that like stamped the feet and shouted and bawled, but really calm, you know, like composed lads, you know, really good work ethic. You know, the the, the changing room that Paul had put together that season. You know, I know, again, JJ's touched on how, how people think Paul you know, didn't have a great time at Luton. But the changes he made at the start of that season you know, was the building blocks for what John still came in and completed. Those lads that were on the pitch that day, that, that afternoon, were really good lads, good personality. Like I say, you look down the bench, there was nobody on that bench, as we, as we say in the game, kind of spitting darts at people on the pitch and, and nailing people. Maybe like, everybody was just in it together. You know, and that kind of day, when you've got a changing room like that, a, uh, a management staff like that, and the supporters who were, you know, they were rocking from the from the get go. You could tell that the that Norwich weren't having a great time in the Prem. It was a little bit, you know, a quieter ground on their side. And I would say the Luton fans outsung them all afternoon. Again, it does when when there's a, when there's a lull in the game or when there's a moment to try and take in what's going on. When you've got that support, you do you feel that that little bit extra inch. You you really do. You want to go out and just do that little bit more. And hopefully just achieve, you know, yes, it's selfish that you want success for yourself as a player. You want those big days. You also want to be remembered by all them fans and your family that are out there. And it was just one of them days where everything went right. Like I said, the supporters, the players, the staff, everybody that was in it was in it together. Um, and they were, they, were, they were fantastic that day. And JJ, the longer that game went on, I mean, you, you've all spoken about it. You kind of had that belief that we could get them back to Kenworth Road and things. And I'm kind of sat there in the stands and I'm thinking, just give us one chance just to see what we can do. And the ball comes over, doesn't it? And Alex Lawless volleys it. And I must admit, when it left his foot, I thought it was in. And um, how, how did that kind of give you the momentum to think, hang on, there's a winner coming for us? Yeah, I think it's one of them moments with, with Laws and, like you say, with in, in round three where he scored the wonder goal against Wolves. And I think I remember one earlier even on when he scored, and I think it might have been Nuneaton at home where he smashed one in the top corner. But um, obviously Scott was on at the time, and um, I think Scott's just got in front of Bennett and, and clipped it over clipped it over Bennett. And um, I think Alex Laws has got inside the fullback and he's dropping. And I think I even remember to, to this day to sort of thinking, this could be our only chances. And, and as he connected, he caught it sweetly, to be fair to him. And uh, it's going towards goal, and it, ju it just drops wide at the post. And I think maybe as a, as a group of players, you might think you go to a Premier League club, you might get one chance. And um, personally, I probably thought that was our chance. You know, you, you get one opportunity, and you, you think maybe as a, as a conference team, if we can get a corner, you know, it's renowned in, in that level of football, you can bring the big lads forward, put it in, and see what happens. But yeah, it, it was a great effort from Alex, and um, it was one of them where 
you're almost begging for it to go in and, and like you've done in round three to put through again. But um, I think you're always confident you might get one more chance, but I'm not really I'm not really sure we expected the chance to fall out. It did, I think, like I said, if we'd have got a corner or something and, and maybe managed to create something from there and, and, and maybe score a goal from there, then that would have been more sort of non-league-esque. But um, it was a chance that laws us, I think that we probably as a group of players thought that would have been the, the only real chance we got in the game. And um, Scott done brilliantly for him to, to get on the end of it. And if anyone was going to score, score a wonder goal, you'd probably thought it would have been Alex Lawless. Alex had the chance, but Scott, the glory, it came to you in the end. Um, looking back, I mean, you talked about yourself and JJ being on the bench. Stuart Fleetwood was the uh, other youth substitute that day. And it literally was, I mean, they're called game changers now. A lot of the, the modern managers call them game changers. I mean, I don't think there's been a game changing triple substitution across the second half quite like that afternoon because Stuart passed to JJ and then uh, JJ put it on a plate for you and um, you did what you do best and put it in the back of the net. I mean, as Kovac's solid header and now Fleetwood can run at the defence. JJ O'Donnell's making a good break forward as well. Fleetwood uh, has spotted the run of O'Donnell. O'Donnell racing onto this one. Rendell's in the centre. O'Donnell's told to take his time. O'Donnell pulls it back. He's in! He's scored O'Donnell for the Hatters! Lucian Down have taken the lead at Carrow Road! It's JJ O'Donnell that's put the cross in! And score Rendell's on the edge of the six-yard box to fire past that to Declan Rudd. The place goes wild on the far side. There's only one bloke jumping up and down in the press box. That's me because the Hatters have scored. In the 81st minute, the Luton fans celebrate on the far side because Scott Rendell's netted his 11th goal of the season to put Luton into the lead here at Carrow Road. It's Norwich nil of the Barclays Premier League and of the Blue Square Bet Premier League. It's Luton Town 1. It's a super run from Scott Rendell across the six-yard box to poke home from the edge of the uh, the, the six-yard line. It's JJ O'Donnell who's made the break from Stuart Fleetwood's past and there's nothing Rudd could do and 4,000 fans go ecstatic. Just talk us through those the build-up to your goal before you actually put it in. Oh, I just hope that or I wish that there was the uh, GPS vest that we wear now back in the day because that was probably the quickest <laughs> I moved from one half to the other. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just remember I think they had a free kick or they put a long ball into the box and Big Yano's come out and smashed it miles with his head and it just fell to fleets perfectly and we're like I looked and there was just a lot of green space to be like I'm probably fresher than a lot of people out here just purely because I've been on the pitch a lot less JJ was I think slightly ahead of me and we're like right let's just go and we've, we've just both gone as quick as we could uh, and obviously Fleets is composed he had, a, he had a touch played a great ball for uh, JJ to go down the um, to break into their half behind their back four or whoever was left and then it was literally just me, I think it was uh, me and Fox in the middle of the park and I just had to run and run and run and just try and give JJ an option there. And um, the closer you got to the box, it was it was literally a me versus the two centre-halves, I think it was at the time. And it was about making the right run at the right time and helping make JJ, uh, JJ's day, because like, that's what it is. It's known as JJ O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, well, Stuart Fleetwood has uh, just joined us. And, How are we uh, doing? Stuart, you look it's as though right. you're ready to uh, join straight in in the conversation. You've timed it brilliantly. Great to have you 
here on the podcast. Thank you for joining in. Um, You're welcome. We've just got to the point of discussing the goal, and obviously you had uh, an input in that. Um, start playing the ball uh, down the left for JJ, but just talk to us about, um, you know, the, let's talk about the goal as we're on it at the moment. Your your input in that and what you remember from from the from that. Well, under Paul Buckle, I was probably playing on the left wing, wasn't I? So um, I was uh, I was probably out wide <laughs> for that exact reason. I just remember, uh, oh, J- JJ talks about this quite a bit, I think. Um, but <laughs> just, <laughs> just, play, just playing that ball sort of down the line, you know, JJ's made a great run and uh, just wanted to play it in his path. And I don't think anybody's tracked him um, from that position. I don't really think I got in the box afterwards. Um, I was probably just trying to sit in and uh, take take a take a draw, but then obviously uh, JJ crossed it in, and uh, the goal poacher was there, wasn't he? And how much of the the training and the work that you put together, and and knowing your teammates, did did, did that play a part in the goal with the runs that were being made? Um, I think we probably had to be a little bit clever about it, especially like playing away at a Premier League club. Um, you probably can't play as expansive as you would in a conference, especially when we were playing four strikers up front most weeks. Um, so, it, you know, it, we had to probably, you know, like I said, be quite adaptive to, you know, don't make those forward runs too often. Otherwise, you're going to struggle and be overrun on the way back in. But, you know, that one time that, that JJ did run forward and we got that chance and obviously he went in. And um, JJ, the others have said you don't like to talk about it too much. So um, perhaps we ought to give you the opportunity now just to um, to run us through uh, <laughs> what happened from your view of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not something I talk about too much. I've had to watch it again today just to make sure I remember what <laughs> happened. But um, but nah, it was it was it was one of their moments, and obviously Janos, like um, Ren said, Janos clears it and and Fleet picks it up, up obviously in front of the dugout and. I don't know why. It's probably been a better decision if I just sat in and, and tried to help, obviously, the team defend the draw. But the the, the right back was out of position and there was green grass behind him. And I managed to sprint into it. And, and Fleet has played a great ball. You know, it's it's one of them passes that, um, obviously, if he under hits it, then it's behind me and I've got to stop. But he's, he's played it perfectly. And um, as I've reached it, it's, it's, it's a perfect pass. And um, as soon as I looked up, I knew I knew where Scott was going. It, it sounds silly, but um, as soon as I got the ball and, and got my head up, I was I was literally just waiting. And as soon as Scott, I remember Scott put his arm out, and as he put his arm out, I I sort of knew that it was a it was a case of when he goes, he's going to get across the front. And if I could put the ball across the front, then I knew that he would be there. So um, it was good movement from him. It was it was good ball from Fleet, good ball down the line, and I just had to try and, and pick Scott out and. And thankfully, when when his arm went down and he made his move across the front, I don't think they were quite set. And if I played it across, I I, I knew he was going to be there, and, and thankfully he was. JJ, what did Gordon Strachan say about it? Gordon Strachan. Oh wait, let me just go on my planner on my TV because I've been on. <laughs> <laughs> but now nah, I think uh, he got think... sacked after that Strachan. <laughs> checking, I was checking my DNA profile, see if I had any Scottish in me, but I didn't. <laughs> but, no, yeah, he helped me out that night, to be fair. I've watched that a few times as well. <laughs> I mean, JJ, to be fair to you, there is a lot of pressure on that pass, isn't there? Because if you get that wrong, Scott is giving you an earful because, uh, you know, you're, you're racing down the wing. There's less than 10 minutes to go against Premier League opposition. You have got to get that pass right. Scott's got to put it in the net, but you've got to get that ball right, haven't you? Yeah, but I, I think in, in your career, and I know Scott's here, but... Scott's probably one of the main players I've played with throughout my career that 
I knew where Scott was going and it sounds a bit silly, but um, you play with players across your time and um, Scott's one of them where as soon as I got the ball, it was a case of I knew where he was going and it was just a case of waiting because he, the defender was a bit ahead of him um, and I knew as, as soon as he made his, his movement to go between, he was always going to get across the front. And obviously it's pressure to try and get the ball, but when you're playing with someone that, that you know where they're going to go, if you can, if you can play the ball and the timing's right, then I knew Scott was going to be there and, and thankfully he was and it's still a good finish you know he's probably just outside the near post and to get his toe onto it and and put it past put it past uh, Declan Rudd was was still a great finish and um, obviously the, the, the ball helped but the finish was was perfect and if you look at it from a from a team point of view and a perspective of how we set up to to go and get something that day it was it was arguably perfect you know the lads had sat in all game and defended brilliantly and um, one counter attack a, a good ball from Fleets and I was obviously able to cross it, and, and Scott was able to put it in. It was it was arguably a, a, a masterful counter attack, which which come to fruition, and and obviously, like I say, the rest is history. Scott, we said there, you know, you had the hard job. You had to put it in the back of the net to take the glory. JJ said he knew where you were going to be. Do you got any idea where JJ was going to put the ball? I think if JJ's honest, JJ didn't know where he was. Dragged <laughs> 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 me off me hill. <laughs> yeah, it's, I was supposed to go. Yeah, nowhere near where he put it now. <laughs> it was one of those where you always thought as a striker, sure you're pleased to tell you that, if you're the only person in the box, the, first, the run you have to make is trying to get across that front first man and get across, get it across the, the near post. And, you know, as I said uh, before, I was the only one probably making that box because everyone else was, was deep mate, uh, defending the free kick. Um, so... I knew as soon as I got to the edge of the box, the run I had to make was try and get across uh, Ryan Bennett at the front post um, and then just hope JJ would, would put the ball where he did. And thankfully, everything worked out perfectly and it, it couldn't have gone any better. And John, you were obviously watching on from the bench at the time, ecstatic scenes. You're watching your teammates score against Premier League. You're watching... 4,000 fans celebrating the stand at opposite side to where you were. I mean, what was it like on the bench at the time? What was the euphoria? Well, me and the, strangely enough, me and Andre were warming down. So we were all, we were in the corner as it kind of developed in front of us. Um, yeah, I kind of spent, I didn't really sit on the bench for the final 15 minutes. Uh, the only time I was on the bench was right at the end. Um, so we we kind of gone down there. We you know me and Andre talking about obviously the game, the state of the game, what had been going on, and things that were happening. Um, obviously we were down there when Laws hit that shot. Uh, but then when obviously when the ball goes in, we're just jumping all. You, 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 but you, again, you, you, you're tired. You've come off. You've played your part. But there is nothing like again at that time when the goal goes in. You know, there's ten minutes to go. You're against the Premier League club. There's nothing saying that you're going to end up winning that game. Yet. It's like the you know the, the feelings and the emotions are just crazy, and then, like I said, the noise in, in in the ground was was frightening. Um, and then you know, it was just about hoping that we could that we could see it out. And like I said we were sat on the bench. We were uh, initially giving jumpers and tracky tops and coats. And if you notice, when I ran on the pitch, I'm one of the first people to get to Renz. I do not coat on. I'm like John Terry. I I like I've just finished the game. I'm still on that pitch. I probably. <laughs> Whistle goes, and we just belted on the pitch to be uh, to be with each other, to be with the lads, and and, and have a part of the celebrations because it was just it was amazing. Um, and like you know, as I touched on before, the changing room was was class down there. Um, 
you know, we were we were quite close as a group of players. You know, well, the lads that are on the screen, especially, you know, we, we sat on the same side of the change room. We had a great laugh every day. Uh, I couldn't have been any happy, even though, like I said, me and Renz were like sometimes swapping positions in the FA Cup run. And I was sitting in behind Dre or whether it was a league and me and Fle- Fleet were playing on the wings. Um, and it was just, it was a crazy time, but we had a great laugh. Uh, we were great pals and at the time, I just couldn't have been any happier. You know, like for, for him, even for, like I said, for Bucks, you know, I, I was so happy for Bucks because of the stick that he was getting and things like that. Um, it was just amazing to see the goal go in, but like I said, the final whistle was, uh, was fantastic. And Fleets, we've heard from the uh, from the other boys um, before you came on, uh, yeah. their sort of feelings going into the game. Did you fancy the job going into the game? Did you think we had a real chance? Because obviously we've touched on the, the win over Wolves yeah. and they weren't doing brilliantly, were they, Norwich? What were your sort of thoughts of it? I was probably in a bad mood because I was on the bench, probably. But um, <laughs> no, it, it's, uh, I don't think you ever go into a game thinking you're going to lose, but I probably didn't go into it thinking I was going to win, if I'm honest. Um, although they were sort of, yes, they were a Premier League team. They were having a bit of a struggle in the league. Um, obviously, Harry Kane was there, I believe, I think. Well, I think so, I remember rightly. Um, he's gone on to some decent stuff. But, you know, they had sort of players there who, I think they just come up from the Championship. We'd beaten the Championship side before. And you go into those games with a bit of confidence. But if I'm honest, the lads probably weren't overly confident of getting a win. No other non-league team had gone, you know, to a Premier League team and won away. Um, so, although you're optimistic, in the back of your mind, you're probably realistic. You just go in there to enjoy, enjoy the occasion. And if you can play your best and play well, then, you know, who knows on the day. And that's, you know, obviously what turned out to happen. And when you're sent on at nil-nil, does that kind of change? Are you now thinking, we've been getting back to Kenilworth Road, we can actually go on and win the game? Um, yeah, probably thinking, right, let's get back for a draw or please don't make a mistake and they go and score after just coming on. Um, so it's uh, it's a bit of a tough one because you, you want to try and get into the game. Like the boys will tell you, the hardest thing to do is come on as a sub and try and get yourself going. I don't know. I definitely know you feel that, Renz. But, <laughs> but it's, the, it's the hardest thing to do, to try and get up to the pace of the game. Everyone expects you to come on and make an impact straight away. You literally do two runs and you're blowing. So it's, it's so hard to try and keep up to speed and you don't really want to make a mistake. But then obviously when you get into it and you think, all right, I'll tell you what, we might have a little chance here. And you start to pass the ball a bit calmer. And then things start to happen, like, you know, with the goal, like you said, a few good good passes and a, and a great finish. So um, you're coming on wanting to make an impact, but also not wanting to make a mistake as well. And Scott, you've scored with sort of eight minutes to go and injury time on top. How long were them 10 minutes? Yeah, fairly. They didn't feel like 10 minutes, I'll give you that. <laughs> you think, right. As, as hard as everyone's worked for 81 minutes or whatever it is, we're going to have to probably work as hard for the next 10 minutes um, because we had something to hold on to then. It wasn't just a draw. It was actually people believing that we could actually pull off the win. Uh, it, as a game plan, if you read it out before the game, you couldn't have wrote it any better because the boys worked so hard and they nullified a Premier League team for 81 minutes and it, they resulted in two or three major chances that, that we had to stop. And if, if, you, if you were told that before the game, I think every single person uh, affiliated with the club, the players, the staff, the manager, we would have all taken that just for that one chance towards the end. And um, 
yeah, it was just, it was the longest 10 minutes ever because I think they had a massive penalty shout towards the end. I think. In yeah, this, Snoop, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, in this day, it bounced off Snoop. They are giving up, by the way. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And they, uh, they are in them days. You've got to be quiet. Um, yes, in, this, in this day and age, that would have been given because obviously it would have gone to VAR, a Premier League ground, they would have given it handball, and we could have been talking a completely different story here. But I think we deserve that little bit of luck on the day, and um, and we managed to hold on, barring that little penalty scare. And obviously, as the boys said, the, the celebrations were wild after that. Yeah, you mentioned that penalty. Sorry, you mentioned that penalty shout. I mean, uh, everyone's hearts just jump into their mouth. But thankfully, I mean, he's played a blinder there, and he's just cracked on as if he's uh, as if he's not done anything. <laughs> and then comes the final whistle. Comes the final whistle. I mean, Fleets, you've only been on the pitch for 15, 20 minutes, but as a group of you, you're all sprinting straight over to those Luton fans. That must have been one of the memorable moments. Yeah, I, just, uh, I remember all being in that corner, and everybody's just run over. It's funny, the only thing I can really remember, and boys, I think you back me up on this one. When we got in the changing room, I remember Chris Hewton was good good pals with Bucks, and I'm pretty sure he told him to turn the music down, didn't he? Yeah. He did. He did. Yeah. 100%. I, I tell this story all the time, and it's, it's God's honest truth. Like, Chris Hewton comes in, and fair play, <laughs> he said, Congratulations to us, boys. Like, well done, played really well. And he said to Bucks, Bucks, couldn't knock the music down a bit, could you? Because we were having a proper party in there. Yeah, be respectful. Turn the, turn the music down. And we did. We actually turned it down. I couldn't believe it. Like, And I literally, that story, I tell it to everyone. I'm like, yeah, we won at Norwich and then got asked to turn the music down. But uh, um, but yeah, celebrations were, were, were good, probably louder on the pitch than they were in the dressing room. So, JJ, your thoughts of... JJ, your thoughts of the celebrations after the game? Yeah, it was incredible. Um, I think obviously it was it was a case of you, you went over to to that side of the pitch, and um, for me personally, obviously that my, my dad was one who went to to Luton games even before I signed, and um, obviously to see the decline of the football club over the years and um, the heartache that the club had felt over the years, it was a, it was a case of you know the, the days that the club the wanted back and um, the conference days where you're going to all the smaller grounds and uh, the dingy stadiums and. You just looked at it there and it was a case of what, what the club could be and eventually be one day again. And obviously it is, it is that now, but at the time it, it seemed a million miles off. But as you went over and um, it was it was 16 lads and all the staff, etc. And, and celebrating with, with that many Luton fans and, and credit where credit's due, due sorry, the, uh, the Norwich fans stayed out, if I remember rightly. You know, there, yeah. there was ones behind the goal and um, they applauded us off the pitch and, and stuff like that is something I remember personally. But... It was an incredible day and um, one thing I do remember is uh, I got a bit giddy and took my shirt off but the first thing I asked was, <laughs> was Daz the kit man for a bib because I was about one stone eight and I was like, Daz, you got a bib pal because I'm not going topless here. So, uh, I chucked my shirt in the crowd after I put a bright orange bib on and um, yeah, it was uh, it was something that, you know, I'd, I'd love that shirt back, you know, I've always said that, I'd love my shirt back but... I'll give him the bib if they give me a shirt back. <laughs> As kit man, you must have plenty of them bibs anyway. <laughs> <laughs> loads now, mate, loads. Speaking I mean, of shirts, was... actually, did anyone get any shirts from uh, the Norwich players? Did, any, did anyone get any mementos? 
Uh, I got Leon Barnett's ex-Luton player in it, so I thought yeah. I'd grab that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to be fair, if I'm not in work in a couple of weeks, it could be getting sold, guys. So uh, <laughs> get, get ready for that one. <laughs> Obviously, after all the celebrations had died down and you'd had a quiet party in the dressing room, I mean, the next few days, what was that like? I mean, Scott, first of all, how many times did you watch the goal back on uh, TV replays and how many of the national papers did you buy on Sunday morning? Oh, I didn't buy any of them. The wife went out and bought a load, though. <laughs> no, I, yeah, the next few days, it, it was it was wild. You had phone calls from, like, say, the national papers. Yeah, I think I think even that night on the, on the coach on the way home, Sky Sports were on the phone wanting to do like a little interview and stuff like that. And it was it was a little bit surreal at the time because going into the game, you like you can as a player that was always going to be on the bench, you always wish for that moment to fall to you if, if it comes. Um, and I'll be telling you a lie if I told you that I didn't think about it and I didn't think about it being me, um, but you never actually believe that it's actually going to happen. Um, so, oh, <laughs> um, so, but yeah, the next the next few hours, especially on the coach on the way home, the boys were having beers and everything else, drinks. Uh, the next few days with papers and stuff, it, it was it was mad. It was really really wild and. It was a surreal experience, but it was one that I'll never, never forget. Yeah, that's for sure. And John, what do you recall of sort of the next couple of days after that victory? Honest conversations. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, surely we're not just going to get the, bon the, the, the standard contract bonus for that really, surely not. <laughs> two weeks of our life trying to get that. <laughs> a long, long couple of conversations. Um, <laughs> no, listen. The the like as I touched on the, the aftermath on the pitch was brilliant. Um, lads with decent physiques all with the shirts off and jumping around trying to get as many photographs as possible. Um, a little Adam Watkins just bouncing all over everybody. <laughs> um, the changing room, the bus on the way home, and then like you said, I mean those kind of things. You, you, it does take two or three days to get over. Um, you know, people talk about the, you know, like cup hangovers and things like that. It does happen because your focus is, even though you want to focus on like your next game or your next trade session, everybody else won't let you. I mean, like your, your local press, your national press, your families, your friends, everybody's on you for, you know, the next game. You know, everyone was like straight away, what's the next round? Who are we going to draw in the next round? Which was the biggest letdown of the whole run. <laughs> what an upset. <laughs> what an upset that was. Watching that draw was one of the hardest things of my life. Um, but no, the, the actual initial, like that, that, that uh, the game that night, felt like the Sunday, Monday kind of thing was, was brilliant. And, and then, listen, again, the lads on the screen have been a part of the game a long time now. Football does not let you just, especially in the middle of the season, it doesn't let you celebrate. You just have to crack on and train. And the first thing everybody does is try and bring you back down to earth to, to focus. And the conference was relentless. The games were always coming. So as soon as we got over kind of Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, it was back onto it. And look, we'll, we'll take the cup when it comes around again and we're back onto the league. So um, you just got to try and make most of those, those times, those days, like that Saturday, Sunday were, were brilliant. It must have been difficult because you're on such a high after that victory over uh, uh, Premier League opposition, and then suddenly you're back to training and you're looking at the FA Trophy and Grimsby away. Yeah, 
I remember, I was going to say, I remember we had a trophy game, like whatever, Mickey Mouse Cup, whatever it was, um, on, a, on a Tuesday night. And like you said, Grimsby away, like it, it doesn't get any worse than that. Obviously, lovely stadium, <laughs> lovely pitch, but oh, it's like the longest journey ever. It's wet, it's windy, it's cold, and it's just, it becomes a distant memory, obviously, very, very quickly. Um, so you can, like you said, like Shory said, you can celebrate on the bus and have a few beers and on the Sunday go for a, a, a sneaky couple as well, which has been known to happen. And then uh, Monday you're back in training, and then Tuesday you're you're back to it at Grimsby away. So you uh, you come back down to earth pretty quick. One of those games, Grimsby, that you arrived when you were on the bench for. <laughs> Correct. I picked up a little knock at a weekend. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> JJ, for yourself, obviously one of the the younger uh, players that we're speaking to tonight at the time. I mean, um, for yourself. How, how did the celebrations go? The, the buzz around it all uh, following that victory in the next few days? Yeah, it's been seven years for him. I, uh, I'm still celebrating now, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was one of them on that night where uh, I've, I've never pressed fast forward and rewind on my Sky Remote as much, I don't think. Is uh, <laughs> that when Gordon Strachan was talking? Oh, it was Gordon Strachan, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> I just kept watching it and I think I was up to about two o'clock in the morning, kept watching it and... It's just yeah, like you say, it's obviously the boys love it, but it's 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 me, you know. I I love it. I, I love thinking back to it. But the night it was it was surreal. Obviously, we got the bus back to the stadium, and um, obviously people were doing interviews, etc. And um, your phone was going mad from people from everywhere and teams, players you played with, clubs, etc. And um, I think like Shorey says, it it probably takes a couple of days to sink in, you know. And um, I think when it comes to the draw at seven o'clock on the Monday night and you get Millwall at home, you're a bit like, oh, all right, yeah, brilliant. But it, it was one of them. It was it was obviously, it was an incredible day for everyone, you know, and I'm, I'm sure the lads probably have family there as well, but it's, it's, it's a sense of pride. Um, it's a sense of you've achieved something and you've achieved something really special. And um, obviously the lads will tell you, you, you look back and you probably don't have a lot of great moments in football as, as a player individually or in, or in teams, you know, you, you probably have a lot more dull average moments and you have great moments but um, I think alongside all the all the boys here it, it'll be a moment that you can look back when you retire and, and say you achieve something special. And you're all uh, still involved in football you've just been involved in football and things I mean Scott you've just well prematurely finished the season with Eastleigh how's, uh, how's the football still going? Um, yeah it's like you say as the years go on it's it's, it changes a lot and you have your ups and downs wherever you go and last year was no different. It was it was a weird year for me because it was probably the first year of my career that I never played as many games as I would have liked or expected and, and stuff like that. And it, it kind of petered out into a nothing season really because we, we never really challenged for anything. We, we weren't near the playoffs. We, probably, we weren't going to get relegated. It was just one of those seasons where probably, I say, I think that was my 17th year as a professional. Um, and it's probably one of the only ones that had nothing riding on it to come February and March. So it, it did feel weird, but... Timmy, sit down. Sorry. Keep <laughs> <laughs> right, quiet and I'm talking. Right, come here. Right. Be quiet. Sorry. Um, and... Uh, How many kids you got? I want three. <laughs> I want three. And it's the one night the mother went out, didn't she? Right. Right. Um, yeah, it was one of those. It, it petered out towards the end, and uh, as it stands, our last game this year, we got absolutely slapped by Notts County four 0 So it's not the greatest way to remember this season. 
No, absolutely not. No. As you speak about things changing there, Scott, I mean, John, change has definitely happened with you because when you was a Luton player, you was up front, stroke right wing, as you've kind of alluded to. You're nowhere near that high up the pitch now, though, are you? No, no. I, um, I'm back where I belong, back at centre-back. I, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a long... The, the, the centre-back thing was just one of them things I'd always wanted to do. I, um, I got a bit of time there as a young player and the odd club I've kind of drifted in and out for the odd game. And then I got into my early 30s and again, the lads on the screen, I'm sure at times I've done it. I fell out with the game quite a lot with, the, with a couple of dodgy seasons and questionable coaching methods. Um, and I kind of, I said to... Um, two seconds. Yes. Oh, <laughs> now mine's coming in. There we go. Yes. Yeah. So I I came into South Shields. I dropped um, a little bit lower than I kind of wanted to when I was leaving Gateshead. I you know I was I could have kind of dropped into the Conference North, but um, I'd started coaching just after Luton, um, and I got a couple of opportunities for for coaching jobs. So I uh, I chose to drop a few extra leagues. so that I could kind of go full-time into coaching. Uh, and I joined South Shields, who had just got a chairman that had come through the door and he wanted to take the club up the pyramid. So I thought, well, what a great project to be a part of. But I sat down with the coaches and said, look, I'll come in as a manager. Uh, sorry, as, as a manager. I'll come in as a, as a forward, but ideally, eventually, I want to be a centre-back. Um, but they were only willing to pay me to be a forward. So I, <laughs> I went in as a striker. Um, and started okay, uh, and then just a kind of a turn. Of the we had a, we had a kid on loan who tore his hamstring. We had somebody break their ankle. We had somebody else injured, um, and they asked me if I'd slot back in. And the lads that were playing up front with me at the time, everybody started scoring goals. We went on a ridiculous run. We won something like thirty-four games in a row. Um, while obviously that's happening, and, and I was doing all right at centre back. Were willing to keep me there, and we ended up having a great season. We uh, we won the league, the league cup, the Durham Challenge Cup. We went to the we went to Wembley and, and won the Vars as a centre back. Um, it was it was crazy, and I really enjoyed it. And that's it. I kind of they've asked me a couple of times, you know, would you would you fancy going back up front? And listen, I'm nearly 37. I'm staying at the back. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm totally enjoying myself, not running around. It's completely different being on the receiving end of elbows and dishing them out. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> JJ, <coughs> excuse me, JJ, you left the town for Gateshead. Still there? How's things going up there? Yeah, it's it's good. It's um, it'll be it'll be seven years in January since I left, so um, it's 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 amazing, really. Obviously, yeah, I'm a bit too close to Shorey. Um, I'd rather be a bit further away from him, but <laughs> nice. Nah, it's it's an, it's an incredible part of the country, and um, the people are all brilliant, and and it's it's the place I call home now. So it's. It's something totally different for us. It was it was a case I'd never been away from home. Probably the lads here have, have all moved away from home before, but um, that was my first um, real move away from home at, at 22 years old, and and I've loved every minute. You know, it's I've had I've done a few things. I'm, I'm I've took up the kitman job about three years into it, and it's it's still something I do today. So it's a it's a bit of a strange one. Um, obviously being full time with football and, and being a kitman at the same time, but it's it's something I've enjoyed and embraced and. Um, yeah, it's, it's a place now that I never thought I'd leave uh, Leighton Buzzard, which is which is where mum and dad are. But um, I'm I'm up here now, and um, it's something I've enjoyed. I've, I've had some great times at the club, and um, I met a lot of great people, and it's it's a great place to live, and, and something I'm I'm really enjoying up here. And um, I've set myself up a little company, which has been good, and 
I've enjoyed it. You know, it sure he'll tell you the northeast is it's a great place to live with with a lot of good people and um, the passion for football up here is really really something that um, shines through. You know, you, you've got Newcastle and Sunderland, but um, if you drop down, you've got clubs like Gateshead and, and where Shorey is in South Shields that are striving to, to do well for themselves. And it's, it's great to see. And, and the passion for football up here really is really is something to, to love. Good to hear it's going well. Fleet, how's the football career? How's the life in general? Well, so you haven't got long enough to do my clubs after Luton, have you? Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, it's st- it was still plugging away. Um, no, I was at Swindon, obviously, uh, for my second season. Uh, the season just gone. Uh, club captain down there, which the boys would be surprised to hear. Um, but <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I loved it down there. Uh, great bunch of lads. Not sure, like most lads in non-league, what's really happening at the moment. Um, so don't know what's going to be happening next season, whether I'll be there or whether I'll be elsewhere. Um, I'm just looking to keep playing as long as possible. You know, like Shuri said to it, you're, you know, you're a long time out of it. You can go out of it and come straight back into it. So, uh, although the wife would love me to retire, it's, uh, it's not happening yet, love. So, uh, yeah, I've got a few years left in me, in, in me yet, hopefully. Good to hear there's, uh, there's life in you yet, mate. Um, i just finish off this podcast by asking all of you, do you still keep in touch with the club? Is there anyone sort of at the club that you still keep in touch with, Scott? Probably the boys. I speak to Andre on the odd occasion here and there. Um, Ronnie Henry. Every now and then, uh, Snoop as well. Um, I think that's probably it. Obviously, I, I still bump into a few of the few of the lads like Smudger now playing. He's at Chesterfield, so I've seen him not too long ago, um, and a few others. Yeah, but it, it, it's always nice to keep in contact, especially with with boys that Shorey alluded to earlier that we all we all got along. It was a great change to be part of, and um, yeah, it's, it's definitely one that I, I fondly remember. But, not necessarily down to results, but being being the close with the lads because they were they were good good lads and you you meet many lads uh, across your time in football and uh, we had some of the best in that changing room so it's it's nice to keep in contact with a few of them yeah. John, do you still keep in touch with the town's fortunes? With with him, sorry. With Luton's fortunes with our results. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all, oh, listen, you do that regardless. You know, even if you've been at a club for five minutes or five years, you don't look for the results. But watching what obviously happened at Luton, and, you know, it was a special club. I think we, all, we were all aware that we were at a big club that was at the wrong level of football when we were there. You know, we were, you know, we were fortunate enough to, to get to play for a club that's, that's in front of 10,000 fans and was always going to eventually get back to the, to the, to the level that it's at now and definitely higher. Um, so yeah, we all, you know, I always keep an eye out for, for how the results, how they've done. I still keep an eye out for, for the lads as well. Do you know, like Twitter's been Twitter's great for stuff like that, Facebook and stuff like that. You always, you know, you, as we touched on before, you know, I, I, I can't say I speak to Smudger, but he's he's still all over my timeline. So I like to keep an eye on what the lads are doing. You know, I still get on really well with Alex Wallace. You know, we uh, we're still good pals. Yeah, unfortunately, as JJ touched on, he's going to be a part of my life for a while because he's <laughs> around the corner. Um, and, and again, you know, it's been great to have a catch up. I always keep an eye out for Fleet. So I'm te- constantly watching Instagram and his little <laughs> weekly tips on uh, on life and diet, something that I never thought I'd hear from Stuart Fleetwood. Um, <laughs> um, but no, it is, it's one of those things. You, you might not talk to somebody uh, in football for, let me say, it might be six months, might be six years, but 
eventually you will, you'll touch base with them over something that happens either in your life, their life, their careers, over, over social media. And it's always good to get back in touch with people that you had such a good time with. JJ, I know there's family connections with um, the club, so you must be delighted to see us riding back up in the championship. Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted. You know, it's my mum and dad, obviously, I've said before, live probably 10 miles from the stadium and um, dad still goes to the games when he can. And um, I, I try and get to the games when I can as well. You know, I went to the uh, to the Sunderland away game last year in the away end, which was nice. And um, I was there last year as well. And obviously the, the lads got the trophy. So, yeah, it's I, I wouldn't say in football I really support anyone, but I'd probably say Luton's my team in terms of the result I look for first when, when after I finish my playing. And, um, I, I still stay in touch with a lot of people, to be fair. You know, I, I spoke to Cy Parcel on Friday just to, to find out a bit of information about one of, one of the lads' loot and release to see if he might want to come up to Gateshead next season. But it's it's one of them, you know. It's, it's a club that um, I grew up I grew up not so far from. And I went when I was younger just to watch the games. And um, it's, it's a club that I'm delighted to see is doing so well. Um, obviously, after all the turmoil and trouble it had and... Um, I was there, obviously, in the, the 2009 Johnston Paint Trophy finals at that game as well. So um, I've seen the highs. I've obviously seen a lot of the lows of the grounds that, that obviously us four went to in the non-league days where you, you're struggling to go out single file in some of the tunnels. But um, it's, it's great to see where the club have, have got to and the infrastructure that's in place for, for Power Court and Newlands Park. And um, it's, it's just brilliant to see, you know, it's a, it's a club and a town that deserves deserves a football club that's that's riding high and um, I, I think the lads will agree that it's, it's, it's a club that we all thoroughly enjoyed our time at and, and the club was brilliant with us all. So hopefully it can, it can, uh, it can carry on and, and hopefully avoid relegation this year. And, and with the infrastructure and the facilities that the club are going to have, it's, it's a club that hopefully can one day reach the heights of the Premier League. And I think that'll be great for, for everyone associated with the club and, and hopefully the town as well. Yeah, Fleets, you experienced many of them highs and lows um, with the club. Uh, does the club still hold a space in your heart? Yeah, you, you always look out for, you know, for clubs, uh, ex-clubs results especially. It would take probably me and Renz quite a while to go through down our list. But um, <laughs> the, the best thing about it is that they're in the championship now and you tell the kids I used to play for them. So uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, 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 quite, they quite like that one. But no, yeah, you always look out for, for results of a club that you, you know, that you had a bit of a special bond with. And I think like the boys have already alluded to that the changing room was great. You know, the lads were, were different class down there. There was no real bad eggs in the dressing room that nobody got on with. Um, everybody sort of, you know, dug in and had, you know, a couple of good seasons, you know, in, in that little that little special bond that we had, especially after that FA Cup game. So, yeah, you definitely look out for the results and, and you want good things to happen. Obviously, there's, there's no one really there apart from, obviously, Fizz. Uh, who, who JJ's talked about, Sai, you know, he's the only one really there. Cookie, obviously, the, the kit man, is he still a kit man down there? Does he probably looks about 12 yeah, years is, old yeah. still, does he? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, and obviously, like, like Shory said, we're all on social media, we all keep in touch, even if it's just a, a little silly comment on someone's posts or, or anything like that, or, or letting people know what you're up to. Reds is usually putting pictures of his goals up or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, so everybody can have a little look. Um, but no, it's, that's how you keep in touch nowadays it's not you don't ring people up unless you're really close to them anymore you you give them a little like on facebook or a little uh, a little poker as it were and then uh, away you go so everybody sort of keeps in touch that way and i think it's nice that you obviously you know you, you get to speak to the lads who you haven't obviously spoken to for a while boys i started this podcast by saying january the 26th 
2013 will be a special day for Luton fans for a long time. It's obviously clearly a special day for you four. Thanks very much for sharing your time and your memories of that day. And just thanks again for uh, giving us the memories that we're cherishing. Thank you. You're welcome, mate. No worries. Yeah, thanks, everybody. It's been absolutely fantastic to catch up with you all and um, thoroughly appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak to us tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, listen to what you've got to say and sharing your memories. Thank you. Cheers, Cyrus, guys. Lots of fans everywhere. Best of luck for the rest of your careers and the future. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Take it easy.